Welcome to QWERTY Writing Life Podcast, where we have candid chats about our creative lives. This is May. And I'm Joy. For more information about our podcast, monthly newsletter, or author resource series, visit us at QWERTYWritingLife.com. That's QWERTY, spelled Q-W-E-R-T-Y. It's the first six letters on your keyboard. So, are you ready? Grab your tea. Or your coffee. And let's chat. Hello, everyone. It's another week. Hello and welcome. Today, you're listening to episode 11 of season 5 of QWERTY Writing Life. And we are going to broach again on the subject of the great conversation, particularly how we add to the great conversation. Mm-hmm. So we are recording this at the same time that we recorded the last episode. So we haven't had a moment to have a creative week. <laughs> so Joy and I thought it might be interesting to, in lieu of a creative week, share with you some ways that, um, or a particular example of literature that has contributed to the great conversation from our perspectives. And so last episode, we talked about why we should care about the great conversation. And because Joy and I have a medium of words uh, in our creative space, we got to talk a lot about literature. And so piggybacking off of that conversation, we're going to share a couple of things uh, with you guys about some literature that has affected us in the great conversation. So Joy. What would you like to say? <laughs> oh, so this is this is actually a little bit difficult to try to come up with something specific. Um, you know, I feel like I've read so many things over the years where those characters or those stories, they kind of live on in your heart for a long time. So there are a lot of different things that I could have chosen. But I'm going to share one particular book, and it might be not what you're expecting. <laughs> And then I'm going to share a couple of other little things and um, particular ways that literature really has affected me and has helped me become part of this great conversation. So the book is called The Inklings. And actually, I should have grabbed it. It's right behind me. It's called The Fellowship, The Literary Lives of the Inklings. And it is a fantastic nonfiction. So it is a true account of all of the Inklings. So J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and there were a couple of others um, who were part of that core group. But then there were also some other creatives who came in and out throughout the years. But the thing about that book that really affected me was, first of all, I got the name for my publishing company from that book. So Logos and Mythos came from reading that book. It also really opened my eyes to how creatives can be that community for one another. Um, And I think that because of that, it really affected um, my approach to our relationship, to our critique partnership, to all of these things, which of course led to our book, Finders Keepers, A Practical Approach to Find and Keep Your Writing Critique Partner. Um, And then of course, that also trickled into my fiction as well. Um, But just thinking about and seeing the picture and the example of how specifically Tolkien and Lewis, how their reactions with one another, their relationship with one another, their critiques of one another's works um, really shaped and molded 
the literature that they put into the world. And so that was just, uh, I don't know, I really loved that book. So if you're interested in that, I highly recommend that book. Um, it's by, let's see, I'm trying to remember their names. Ugh, I can't remember their names. But anyway, it's a husband and wife duo. And we'll, yeah, we'll link to that book in the show notes um, so that you guys can find it. But it's a fantastic book. And then for me, I love, absolutely love to see newer fiction that is inspired by past authors. And it could either be, um, like we were talking about earlier, you know, they mentioned like if you're reading and a character in a book loves Anne of Green Gables, for example. Like I love that kind of thing. Or if it's like they reference reading Jane Eyre or something like that. Um, but also when you can see newer, more contemporary fantasy, where you can just tell that that author was highly influenced by either Tolkien or Lewis, but not in like a way where they're trying to write exactly like them. It's just you can feel that influence. You can see it in the way they approach their story and their world building and um, just how they put, put that story together. I love picking up on that. And then the other thing that I love about literature is so often it gives you an opportunity to put yourself into certain scenarios and think, how would I react in this situation? Um, and I think, and actually what comes to mind for this isn't literature, it's actually a show, but I was talking to May about this earlier. My husband and I love the show SWAT. And so as we're watching that show, you know, obviously it's contemporary, it's timely, it's, you know, dealing with a lot of things that are going on in our culture. And so we'll hit pause and we'll be like, okay, so Deacon and Hondo are doing this and they're dealing with this situation and he said this and he said this and like, how would you react in this situation? Like, would you have done what, what Deacon did or would you have done what Hondo did? Like, you know, how, how do we react to this in real life? And even though it's fiction and all of that, it is true to life. And so we're able to put ourselves into those situations and think through it. You know, if this were to happen, like, how do I react? Do I agree with how they reacted and all of that? And so it's just a really, really cool way to be part of that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And that brings us, I mean, what you've, what you've done is just perfectly um, explained why fiction is important in the world. And uh, yes, you had your nonfiction book with the Inklings, and I love, I love yeah. that too. And there's so much we can learn from other people's lives, like who have lived and lived well, you know. Um, there's absolutely so much. Um, but I, I guess it's been on my heart a little bit about how fiction is a little bit like underwhelming for a lot of people. Or it's uh, maybe underwhelming is not the right word. Maybe it's just kind of um, overlooked as legit yeah. <laughs> in a way. It's not given an importance, I think, by some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but what you've just done there is explain how it can be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've taken a fictional experience and, and yes, it's, it's set 
in the contemporary world that does, you know, SWAT exists, people exist, you know, (laughs) the things that they're talking about, it all exists, but it's done in a way where the imagination of the writers have presented to you a story with a platform where you and your husband are able to stop and talk about real life scenarios and, and also, um, things that have happened to you guys in in real life in the past, but also you can plan and kind of already have thought out some things about situations that could potentially occur in the future. And whether they occur or not, isn't really the point. The point is, is that, you know, yourself a little bit more, you know, where you fit in this whole world of humanity a little bit more because you have pushed pause on the fictional story and, and turned it into nonfiction. Does that make sense? Yeah, (laughs) definitely. That's exactly, yeah. And that's the conversation. Like that's, that is an example of of practically taking um, art and creative thought and Mm -hmm. turning it into a conversation. And I love it. I love everything that you just said. Everything. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, um, yes to everything you said. So Mm -hmm. I think I've already kind of said that. But um, I'll give I'll give two specific examples, one that I love in a nice, comfortable way and then one that made me uncomfortable. But it also added to the great conversation. It, it shined a light on aspects of the world that I didn't know about because it was not my perspective and my experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important for us to look at both things um, and understand that there might be a piece of art that wrecks you. You know, but ultimately, you know yourself better, you know, you understand humanity better and you understand how to be better, a better human because you have been wrecked by this particular piece of art. Mm -hmm. So I'll do the comfortable one first. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, it's easier to talk about. So. So almost every year, maybe every other year or something like that, I reread a book called The Bird and the Sword by Amy Harmon. And I want to say it was Amy Harmon's first fantasy novel. And she is just a brilliant author. She writes stories in all different types of genres. She's tried contemporary. She's tried paranormal. She's tried fantasy. She's tried historical fiction. And I say she's tried, she's written stories in all of these areas. I think that she's kind of um, really enjoyed historical fiction because most of us, I think most of her stories are in historical fiction now, like her newer stories. But for a moment while she was in the fantasy world, this was one of her books that she wrote that really affected me in a kind of a beautiful way. And uh, the bird and the sword is about a girl who's had a very traumatic past and there's magic and stuff involved, but we're going to talk about the human element of it. (laughs) So, um, so the part that to me contributes to the great conversation. So um, she has been, has had a very traumatic past, which currently affects her. She can't speak. And there's a reason why she can't speak. And uh, and she does have a great power, like a great magical power. And, um, and it does help her get through some particular things. And what I kind of love about this story is not just the world and the, the beautifulness of, of the world building and the characters and things like that. But in the midst, if, if I were to 
myself in her situation and all of that horribleness happened to me, um, I think that my natural instinct would be to shut off all feelings and mm. to reject all types of emotions and just to kind of become stone, right? Mm. And uh, that would be a natural reaction. It has been a natural reaction in real life, you know. But what I watch in this story is somebody who, uh, as a character, has all of that. And yes, she's tempted to shut everything off. Um, and yet, and yet. And uh, so she's empathetic. She tends to be kind. She's clever. Um, and yes, her magic does eventually like all come back and things are great and good and uh, in the magical realm. But at the end of the story, and I think this is one reason why I just adore it so much. It's not her magic that saves her, the world. It's not her magic that, um, it's not this otherworldly thing that does it. It's her coming to terms with who she is as an individual of her trauma and her past and her, her, her weaknesses and her strengths and all of those things that make you a flawed human being. Um, and, but also, you know, this perfect flawed human being, you know, and she has to love all of it. And she has to, you know, she, she, she ends up in a very human way, um, saving all of it. And, it's a beautiful story <laughs> and it's kind of how I want to be like, I want to learn to love all of the gross parts of myself and to, to see myself as this, um, as, as created in a particular way by a God who loves me and knows all of the gross parts of myself and loves me anyway, you know, and I want to be able to affect people and I want to be able to affect the world. Um, by affecting people and that's kind of what she did with her empathy and her her journey through the story oh i so. love that no i definitely want to read that oh it's so <laughs> good and i kind of spoiled it so sorry spoiler alert um <laughs> even though i didn't give you like the the specific details um i did kind of spoil the end a little but but it was important to the conversation <laughs> <laughs> part of the great conversation here <laughs> so I love that and I should probably take that snippet and send it to Amy Harmon so, so yeah. she can know that that's part of the conversation absolutely um, for me and her story mm. so she has some lovely lovely books and they're so well written the characters are so well developed and so if you're looking for an author and she writes in all of these different genres and they're mm. all really well written books so if you're looking for something new then she might be your girl. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's definitely on my list. Like I still mm -hmm. have not read any of her books, but I have like all of them on my want to read book list. And you can kind of tell like at the, you know, the, the books that she wrote early, you can kind of tell how she's grown as an author and that sort of thing. But ultimately like the core, the stories are all so like the characters are all so real and, and I love it. I love that. <clears throat> Anyway, I'm actually rereading um, A Different Blue. So that's one of my favorite stories of hers, too. And it is a little bit bumpy as far as, like, the transitions from scene to scene and that sort of thing. But, man, I just love blue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I just love her. <laughs> so Well, and so that's something, and I know we've mentioned this before, but I just mm-hmm. have to toss this in there. Like, this is what I love so much about reading the canon of an author is to see that growth. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, I, we had a whole discussion about this in a previous yeah. podcast episode, so I'm not going to go there, but I just, I love that. I love mm-hmm. to see the growth. And I think that that's as beautiful mm-hmm. as any other part of it. Right. And you get to see the growth, but you also get to see the commonalities and the threads right. that from beginning to the end of a canon as well. And not at end, right. but you know, like to the most recent. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's beautiful. Okay. Now the hard stuff. <laughs> you got this. Oh yeah. So there is a book that made me so very uncomfortable that I think about it. As I see, I read this in 2005, I think. Mm-hmm. It was 2005, 2006, something like that. Okay, I'm going to give a little roundabout. 2005 to 2008, somewhere in those years. I can't mm-hmm. recall exactly when. But I read The Bluest Eye, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. And it wrecked me emotionally, mm-hmm. completely wrecked me in, in ways that I can't forget. Um, there are times where I just think about this little main character and and her journey, and I just grieve for this child. Um, and I, just, and I, get, I, I, I get teary. I get like I just think about it and it just breaks my heart all over again. And I read this book once. This was not a reread for me. I read this book once, but it completely changed my insides. Um, and and it is it's a taste into a culture that I have never experienced that I didn't know uh, these kind of things happened. I was very sheltered as a child, and I also was kind of given um, given okay, so I was also kind of fed that the world eventually will be fair and good and kind to everyone. And that if we just work really hard and that if we, you know, we're just fair to others and if we just keep trying to do the right things and other people will be fair and kind and try to do the right things too. And that is not how I teach my children these days, but, um, but rather I, I go in a contentment kind of a path where, you know, the contentment with yourself and identity and Christ and all of that stuff is, um, anyway, that's a parenting thing. So, (laughs) but this book just showed me a world that I had no idea existed. And it was a very sad, sad, broken, unfair, um, world. And the main character is a young girl who was just trying to understand it all and trying to figure out why she was being treated the way that she was being treated and it was just it just hurts it just hurts <laughs> but what i can say is that um what i can say is that it opened up a piece of me uh inside to where my empathy is strong um when I come across people in the real world who either remind me of this little girl or um, comes from a different place or a different culture and that maybe I don't understand them or why they behave the way that they do or why they act the way that they do, or maybe they're 
just so precious. And I just remember this story and how I wish that somebody would have treated that little girl like she was precious. And so like, you know, it just kind of takes you to a place where you take all of those emotions and you take that perspective that you didn't know anything about that part of the conversation about humanity, all of the good and the bad parts of it. And you just try to make the world around you one person at a time, a little bit better than what you know it can be now. Cause it could be that for somebody like right now today, you know? So, yeah. And you know, books like that are hard. Like, you know, I, I, I understand, but it, it does, it makes such mm-hmm. a big difference in your life. Um, without remorse was a book similar for me that was just, I mean, it's awful, like, but it's reality for people and it just breaks your heart to realize that Mm -hmm. that's the situation. And, you know, all of that reminds me of the fact that everyone we encounter every day, we have no idea Mm -hmm. what they're coming from. And I think that literature really helps us understand and be more empathetic and just knowledgeable that that we we just don't know we don't right. know the situations right around us and um oh gosh like the things we carried did you ever mm-hmm. read that story? i did not that is a story about a soldier mm-hmm. and it's the things he carried and it was it's yeah. not just his pack on his back and things like that and i just think that it's so so important for us to try to understand other people and and even if we don't understand them that's okay we don't have to understand them we just have to see them as valuable as important Mm. as humans as created in the image of god as as Mm. being lovable and worthy of somebody looking at them and wanting to know who they are yeah Um, and i want that too for me so (laughs) yeah absolutely so yeah yes (laughs) So don't be afraid to read hard things, I think, is what we're saying here, too. Like, get outside of your comfort zone and maybe even push yourself a little bit in that. If there's something that you don't know about, you know, maybe try a fiction book. Maybe Mm -hmm. try something that's set in that that area or a nonfiction book. Gosh, nonfiction can can wreck you in other ways because you know that it's a real person and, you know, that sort of thing. And even though fiction is, is... is from the imagination. Generally, it's based on real life events, um, experience, at least emotional events and, and experiences that have occurred within the author or within their world or their community or something like that. And so don't discount fiction just because it's um, from the imagination. It can help you see things differently. Yes. As well. So, and that, that's how Toni Morrison and Amy Harmon have contributed to my perspective in the, the great conversation of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, now I, don't, now I just want to go in a corner and cry. Oh, <laughs> no tears, no tears. No, it's so important. It's so important. And... Yeah. Um, there are things that are happening right now in the world that is trying to stifle um, people from being able to have access to stories that can help them be empathetic and mm-hmm. sad and har- and harmful, I think, yeah. to not just young moms, but older moms, too. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I was I was mid-20s when I started reading avidly. 
mm-hmm. you know, it definitely affected who I am as an adult and as a human being and helped me understand things that I didn't understand before as I was creating my beliefs and values and standards and all of that kind of stuff too. Mm -hmm. So um, I, you know, there are some ways where, you know, literature has reshaped me in a Mm -hmm. way that has touched me and reshaped me in a way that um, no mentor or, you know, uh, parent or boss or anything like that has so it um these these conversations are so very important and we hope that you see value in them too yeah (laughs) yes and read books (laughs) all of them (laughs) that's great (laughs) okay 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 okay. we have got to get into this episode we could talk about this all day like there's so there's so many more and if we just keep talking about it one is going to lead to another is going to lead to another is going to lead to another that is true situation that's happening in the world and so on and so forth and so joy and i will have to talk about this off air so (laughs) um but if you have something to add if you would like to share with us something that has affected you and your perspective Mm -hmm. and your view of the great conversation we want to hear because gosh we can fangirl with you (laughs) and we can do it well yes yes we can (laughs) we have talked about how other people have added to the great conversation for us so now what we want to do is talk about how we can add to the great conversation not only to get our, our voices out there but also to add to the great conversation for other people and and our consumers right So earlier this season, we had the privilege of chatting with Dan Blank here on The QWERTY Writing Life, and we will link to that episode uh, of the interview in our show notes so that you can refer back to that. It is a gem, guys. He is is a gem. Um, And he talked to us, particularly um, in in a section of that, about creative place and creative purpose. And uh, we hit him with one final... (sighs) deep question in light of the episodes on the great conversation that we knew that we were going to be having, um, you know, now. So so we asked Dan what he would say to creatives who fear that they have nothing to add to this great conversation. And he gave us a fantastic answer. Are you ready? This is gold, gold nugget gold here. Um, He said, Share anyway. (laughs) And that is a favorite line of his. And it is equally (laughs) profound and difficult in its simplicity, I think. He encourages creatives to simply share their words, their art themselves. Um, It's in the sharing where a creative finds his or her voice. And without taking that first step to put thoughts and reactions out into the world, the conversation can't continue. And so with Dan's mantra in our minds, <laughs> we encourage you to share anyway. Mm, yeah. And you don't know what's going to be important to someone yeah. else's part of the conversation. Yeah. And it might be the thing that you're holding back. So that is true. I love that he says that. Like mm-hmm. just to do it anyway, because it's, it's important to be known and to allow other people to, uh, to know you. So, yeah. So to tackle this episode's question, how do we add to the conversation? <laughs> and, and we came up with four thoughts on 
the how of it all. Mm. So first, we think a key here might be to focus in on one person. So Dan talked to us a lot about the concept of the ideal reader for authors. And you, if you're another medium, then like your ideal consumer and like or viewer or taster or whatever it is. What the ideal reader or the ideal consumer is, is a way of considering one specific person who we are writing for or we're creating for. Honing in on the details of that person is what we want to do and and what what they want is very important and also um, how we give it to them. It enables us as authors to be better uh, Jesus (laughs) let me try (laughs) I was trying I was trying to keep going it just kept getting worse and worse okay okay do you want me to start back at the to tackle this episode's question, or first we think a key here might be to focus in on the one person? Whatever you're more, most comfortable with. Okay, let's do that. Okay. First, we think a key here might be to focus in on one person. Mm-hmm. And Dan talked to us a lot about the concept of the ideal reader for authors. That's the way of considering one specific person who we're writing for. Um, Or if you aren't a writer, if you are thinking about one person who is going to to view your art or taste it or consume it in some particular way. (laughs) Um, Honing in on the details of who that person is, uh, what they want, and how we can give it to them enables us as authors or creators to better fulfill readers' expectations um, and better reach the right audience to get your message to the right people who are going to add it to their perspective of the conversation, right? So um, I take this concept into my professional job as well uh, when I consider the best way to reach prospective students for the university that I work for. Um, I'm director of admissions at a university. And so um, when I was tasked uh, recently to speak to a group of incoming students, I thought about like 2001 Megan Odom, like freshman incoming student to college um, coming to the university where I attended. And um, like, what did she need to hear? How did she need to be comforted? How did she need to find confidence? How did, uh, what, what was it that she needed in a university, in a place where she was going to like have her formidable years and create um, a foundation for her adulthood and her career as she moves on after graduation, right? That's a lot to think of. (laughs) So, um, so I thought about, first of all, what Megan Odom needed to hear. And then I kind of shifted a little bit too and made Megan Odom something separate because sometimes if we use ourselves as our ideal reader or our or our ideal consumer, it's a little bit too close. Mm-hmm. And what we have gone through has happened in the past. So we do kind of need to bring it to the future a little bit as well. And 2001, a long way from 2023, 2024 prospective college students, right? So then I had to consider, like, what, are, what things are evergreen from 2001, Megan Odom, freshman extraordinaire. and. Uh, <laughs> 
and uh, what things are the same, evergreen, what kind of emotions might these people be feeling, what kind of things might they be going through. Um, and then also, like, what's happening now? Like, what's different for these students? What are they facing now that's different than 2001? And so then, kind of take those things together. You can still put it in your mental image. Like, I could still put it in my mental image of Megan Odom, 2001, you know, in her uh, patchwork corduroy shirt with her um platform loafers and <laughs> I can see you like that right now <laughs> love it I can still have that that visual image in my head but uh who who she is on the inside uh as my ideal consumer mm -hmm. um it it's an amalgam of of what I know or who I was and what I know now mm -hmm. so um yeah, so that's how I kind of created an, an ideal consumer or, you know, like an ideal audience member for that group setting. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was able to create a speech that was going to hopefully affect people uh, in the audience in a particular way and also to identify the things that our university can and cannot do for those people who are sitting there. And I think that whenever um, we're in a professional Place. I think being real about what we can and what we cannot do is so very important. Mm -hmm. um, and this might be something that's just a little off script a, a bit. But there are things that um, that we do super well. And then there are things that because of the nature of our particular institution, we, we, can't, we can't do. Like if you're wanting to have a, a, a 300 people in your classroom and you want to, to be in that kind of large academia set, setting, we can't do that for you because we focus in on um, personalized attention. Um, we focus in on 25, 30 people in the classroom at most, you know, like that's, mm -hmm. that's our gig. That's what we do. So <laughs> there are people who thrive in the 300 setting and there are the people who thrive in the 30 setting. And so you just got to figure out which one you are and if the institution will be a place where you will be able to thrive. And if it's not, then we pray that you find, you know, mm -hmm. where you where you need to be. But you have to know those things in order to be able to to make a good decision. And in the same way, you know, we have to know those things about ourselves, about our art. Um and we also have to know, like, what our ideal reader um, will be able to, uh, how our ideal read reader will be able to thrive in our stories, what they will get from our stories, what they won't get from our stories. And that's just as important as knowing what you will get from them, too. So, also, helps with if somebody reads your story and uh, they want something from a, a story that you don't provide as an author. Well, should they just picked the wrong book. <laughs> like, that's not your, that's not your person. <laughs> you know? like, well, and it's not that they picked their own book because you know, let me, let me pack track on that. It's not that they picked the wrong book because I don't think it's wrong to ever like to, to read a book ever, even if it affects you in uncomfortable ways. <laughs> But I think that you're able to handle a critique as an artist in a way if you know what you do provide and what you don't provide. 
And if you're critiqued on something that you don't provide, you just know that there was a miscommunication there as far as like what that is. (laughs) Does that help? I mean, like, I know that that kind of went off the rails a little bit with talking about my professional life as well, but it, it does go hand in hand as we are creating, as we are trying to figure out how we add to the conversation and knowing what you do and what you don't, um, what you don't provide in your art is kind of important in knowing who will, uh, who, who will respond to it and who, who you're creating for is important. No, I think that that's perfect. And I think that bringing that in, it really does relate. I think what, um, you know, you really are showing is that in specificity comes relatability to the topic at hand. So oh. being able to be specific, you know, that really helps. So, yeah. So second, Mm -hmm. as we discussed how we can add to the great conversation, we recognized the importance of highlighting that we must first be listeners to the conversation. Mm -hmm. So inspiration from the conversation comes before we can add anything to it. Mm -hmm. This is, we think, both a subconscious and a purposeful action. We talked before about how the conversation is constantly ongoing all around us through the people around us, the social media, and TV, and stories we consume, many times we're not consciously aware of what nuggets of that great conversation are slipping in. Other times, though, we're more intentional and purposeful about it. We see a meme that goes beyond the ability to raise a chuckle. Perhaps it's one that makes us think about why we lean toward a particular side in a cultural debate. Um, We pause. We consider the point of the meme, but then we pick up the conversation and add our reactions, our whys, our beliefs, and sometimes we might find ourselves altered by a new point of view on the topic, and we engage with it, mulling it over and considering its validity, all the while getting closer to an understanding of who we are, why we're here, and what we're able to share. Yes, absolutely. And social media has done it again to to give us like this beautiful, tangible visual of this with reaction videos. <laughs> whether it's like something that has made somebody laugh, whether it's something that has made somebody think or consider something new, or they have found a video that has perfectly summarized the way that they feel or think inside, like they, they are people who like record the original message with their reaction mm-hmm. and their well, and isn't that kind of a beautiful thing to see? Um, now there's lots of them, and you might not want to see all of them, but <laughs> <laughs> I do think that that's immediately what came to mind whenever you were mm-hmm. talking about like how that affects us and and reacts with with us and sparks and and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And people would not be doing a particular reaction to a particular thought or meme or or content or creative uh, entity if it did not mean something to them. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, Perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps the least overwhelming way that we can approach how to add to the great conversation is in our third thought about how to add to this conversation. Um, So we decide that we can speak to our little corner 
of the conversation while being influenced by other corners. So through articles and interviews and books and art and paintings and so on. Um, simply look at where we are, uh, who we can talk to and with and be always open to new perspectives and thoughts, at least for consideration. You do not have to implement every new perspective into your core belief values. I just want to say that out loud. Um, It's not like that's not necessary. But if you think about new perspectives and things that you have not encountered before, or maybe you have encountered, but you haven't thought about before and weigh it with, your fundamental standards, with your core belief system, with your faith, with your heart, with your everything, yeah. you know, and decide whether this is something that stays or whether it's something that goes because you have considered it, you know why, you know mm-hmm. that it's not something that is just, uh, you have a feeling about, like you can mm-hmm. articulate why it stays and you can articulate why it goes and you understand yourself in a much better way <laughs> like, yeah. in which case you are then more capable to share that with others and continue and add to the great conversation yes love that <laughs> <laughs> so finally we thought about how we can indeed add to the conversation <laughs> in ways things like AI, chat GPT, never can. And it was a pretty awesome thought for us as authors. Remember, the key to adding to the literary conversation is authenticity. Write what you're passionate about and what resonates with you. By doing so, you'll be contributing your unique voice to the rich tapestry of literature and inspiring meaningful discussions and conversations amongst readers and fellow writers. Now, Computers may be able to compile countless bits of conversation from all humans everywhere and through all time into something coherent and interesting, but they will always lack the passion, uniqueness, voice, and telltale fingerprints of an intelligent designer that only humans possess. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Everything that AI does is secondary. It's secondhand. Mm-hmm. Um, you are the primary resource. You are the yeah. one who knows exactly what it feels like to be frustrated, what it feels like to be uh, loved, what it feels like to be valued and important or um, betrayed or jealous or, you know, all of those mm-hmm. things that make us human beings. You are the primary source because you have experience those things and that is something uh, that um that a chatbot can't say so um i just think that that is just so important to remember as we're going through this technological um transition and all of these new things are popping up uh you it's okay like you're you're still valid (laughs) Your voice is still valid and you're still important and you still make great contributions um, just by sharing anyway. Yeah. And perhaps more now than ever, to be honest. Right. Right. Because there are so many um, imposter voices, I guess you Mm -hmm. would say, um, with, and that's a strong term. Like, I'm not sure if I, you know, like 
coined that or not. I, that is a strong term, um, but it feels right at this moment, right now. Ask yeah. me in 30 minutes if it's still, <laughs> <laughs> if I still feel like that for artificial intelligence. But, um, but I just, you know, you're so important and your art is so important. Mm. And because you are who you are and that you're made of flesh and bone and that's so important. So, yeah. That brings us <laughs> to our QWERTY challenge. And so for today, we challenge you uh, to reflect on ways that you have already added to the great conversation this week, in your life, this month, whenever, <laughs> whenever you have added to the great conversation. How have you engaged with literature or fellow humans or other art forms in order to um, consider different uh, perspectives? on the topic of humanity and how to be awesome at it. <laughs> um, what did you hear or read that made you stop and think? And did you change your opinion on something because of what you have encountered? Or did it shore up your opinion and give you reasons that you can now articulate uh, as to why you believe or agree with a particular thing? Um, if you can't think of an example, like we challenge you to be mindful as you walk through this life uh, this week and, uh, and also to purposefully engage with art in, uh, with this great conversation in mind, mm. um, be on the lookout for examples of the great conversation in, in your interactions with other human beings online, with social media, um, and consciously engage with it. Mm. We want you to know that we're rooting for you. Yeah. Absolutely. We hope that you have a fantastic week. Yes. And go make something. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this episode encouraged you. Like all creatives, we thrive on consumer recommendations. So please consider leaving us a review and sharing our podcast with your creative friends. If you'd like to continue this conversation, visit us on our website at QWERTYWritingLife.com or on Instagram at QWERTYWritingLife.